For today's scripture, we have Psalms 68.3, one verse, which says, But the righteous shall be glad. They should exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. I'm going to bring up Albert to introduce our speaker. So you're thinking, uh, well, he's here. Why isn't he preaching? It's because we have John Merritt here, and you know Lake Merritt? That's why. No relation, though, to that lake that I know of, John. I don't know if your forefathers came and claimed this land and Oakland took it. But uh, John's a mentor of mine, a coach of mine. He's actually a a leader for our affiliation. It's called a lead team, so all the Bay Area pastors within our affiliation meet here on a monthly basis, and and John leads that, and he's just been a tremendous help to me, a great sounding board kind of tempers me down on some things and kind of irritates me on other things. And so it's just been a good relationship. So please welcome John Merritt. Hey, good morning, everybody. I just want to thank you for welcoming me into your uh, community. I'm really delighted to uh, have this opportunity to speak to you. I just love what's going on here at Regeneration Church. I love the willingness of you and your leaders to tackle the challenges inherent in doing urban ministry here on this turf in the city of Oakland. I hope you know what a difference uh, you as a church are making in this neighborhood and in the Bay Area and beyond. When your pastor, Albert, describes your community involvement and the strategic ways that you reach out to people around you, I mean, I just want to applaud you for that. And I want to encourage you with the unique challenges that you face. You know, we see and hear so much of what is tragic in our communities and world these days, so much that seems hopeless and broken. We see so many evidences of where God is dishonored and Jesus is disregarded. So how thankful I am for spiritual communities like Regeneration Church, a place where hope is found, a place where God is honored, a place where Jesus is exalted, a place where brokenness is healed, and a place where there is light in the darkness and where a relationship with the God of the universe is offered. And so I encourage you today to never underestimate the importance that you have as a church in this place in advancing the kingdom of God. What you are doing here matters to God and matters for all eternity. And so may the blessing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be upon each one of you. If I may, I'd like to say a word about your pastor, Albert, because he said a word about me. I just want to say what a special guy he is. Of course, you already know that, right? Right? I mean, (laughs) yeah. Uh, You know, when I first met Albert, I didn't know what to make of him, you know. He's sort of quiet. He smiled a lot. He he didn't say much. And I always wondered what was going on in his head. When I would lead meetings with the pastors in our Bay Area group, I wasn't always sure of what Albert was thinking or if he was thinking at all. (laughs) But then I got to know him better, and he began to say things And it was like, whoa, you know, I began to see that Albert is no ordinary pastor. 
and in fact, an exceptionally gifted leader. Not only that, I learned that he was particularly gifted and is gifted to lead an urban church like Regeneration and grow it into the thriving community that it is. So I hope you appreciate your pastor and his wife, Katie, and I hope you love them and honor them and take care of them because pastors like Albert, whether you know it or not, are pretty rare, rarer than you think. A guy who loves the Lord and loves his church. And no, he did not pay me to say that. (laughs) I say it because it's true and to let you know how blessed you are that he is your pastor. So there you go. All right, so today's message is one that I delivered at Crosswinds Church, my home church, a couple of months ago, and it's on the subject of happiness. So I'd like to start out this morning by just asking you simply, how you doing? You know, are you feeling happy or sad? Are you mad or glad? Are you so happy this morning that if you were any happier, we'd all be suspicious that you're on some kind of happy drug? Or are you so sad that you are ready to sucker punch the next person who looks just way too happy? Now, having lived in the state of Wisconsin for five years before moving to California about 25 years ago, I may think that this story is funnier than you think it is, but there was this farmer taking some penguins to the zoo. And unfortunately, his truck broke down out on a country road, and he's sitting there wondering what to do, concerned that his penguins are getting way too warm, and a farmer, a Wisconsin cheesehead, you know, dairy farmer, came by in his tractor, and he has a below-average IQ, all right? So this farmer asked the truck driver what was wrong, and he explained that he was on his way to the zoo, and his truck broke down, and the farmer said, well, I'd be happy to take your penguins to the zoo. The driver said, well, that's nice of you. Do you know where the zoo is? And the farmer says, oh, yeah, sure, you betcha. I've been there many times with my family. And so they hooked up the trailer, the farmer's tractor, and off they went. Though the farmer was gone for about three hours, and just as the truck driver got his truck started again, the farmer shows up with his tractor, pulling the trailer that is still full of penguins. The truck driver couldn't believe it. He said, what are you doing? I told you to take the penguins to the zoo. The farmer said, I did. We went to the zoo, and now we're going to the movies. (laughs) All right, so anyway... That's all I got, folks. That's all I got. I'd say that was one happy farmer and one mad truck driver. But whether you're mad or glad this morning, let me just say right from the top of this whole idea of happiness or the state of being happy is vastly overrated. I say this because when we make too big a deal of trying to be happy, of pursuing happiness at all costs, this can result in greater unhappiness when you can't seem to find what it is that will make you happy. Now, certainly we would all affirm what our founding fathers wrote in the Declaration of Independence, right? That we are all endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But what the Declaration does not spell out is where that happiness is to be found, nor what that happiness looks like, 
nor that there are any guarantees that we will be successful in that pursuit. But what has happened in our modern comfort-driven society is that happiness is not only a pursuit, but an obsession. Have you noticed? In fact, there are two words describing traits in American society today, seldom heard, but accurate nonetheless. I'll give you Webster's definition. See if you don't agree with these terms describing common characteristics of our culture. I think we have them on the screen. The first one is hedonism. The ethical doctrine that pleasure, variously conceived of in terms of happiness of the individual or of society, is the principal good and the proper aim of action. Secondly, the theory that a person acts in such a way as to seek pleasure and avoid pain. And three, the self-indulgent pursuit of pleasure as a way of life. What do you think? Even if you're unable to live the sort of hedonistic lifestyle you see the lucky few living, mainly because you can't afford it, isn't this something that you often dream about, or even if it's out of reach at the moment? Here's a second word that takes hedonism one step further. The word is narcissism, which is described as self-love, excessive interest in one's own appearance, comfort, importance, abilities, etc. Secondly, arrest at or regression to the first stage of libidinal development in which the self is an object of erotic pleasure. And I have no idea what that means. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not a psychologist, but it seems like there's something wrong with this picture especially for a Christian. And yet, how often do we entertain narcissistic thoughts or slip into thinking that everyone and everything exists for me and my happiness? It's at this point where we can become Christian atheists, in a sense, because the pursuit of happiness at any cost can take us down a path where God is shoved into the background as we search for the next self-gratifying thrill. Now, for those of us who identify ourselves as Christians, those of us who love Jesus and seek to honor God with our lives, there is a guiding life principle here that we must not lose sight of. And it is this. The number one pursuit in life is the pursuit of God and God's life. And when we keep that pursuit number one, happiness will follow. I'm going to take credit for that quote, if it's okay with you. Um, this principle is based on biblical teaching. And I have found this to be true in my life over and over and over again. Pursue God, and happiness will follow. On the other hand, when I have turned the principle around, pursuing happiness first, and hoping God will bless that pursuit, or that God will come along for the ride, or even worse, get out of the way, this always results in either disappointment or flat-out disaster. But maybe you're skeptical that pursuing God will lead to happiness, because when you think of God, happy is not the first adjective that comes to mind. Now, if this is the case, then here's what we all need to know about God. Here's the second principle. God is a happy God. God's life is a happy life. And to live God's life means sharing in his happiness.
I'll take credit for that statement too, if you don't mind. Again, I know this to be true about God and living his life, but maybe this is a new thought for many of you, that God is a happy God, and that a relationship with him means entering into God's happiness. So stop and think, why wouldn't this be true? The Bible tells us that God's life and the essence of who God is consists of love, joy, peace, beauty, pleasure. If that is what we are after, then why wouldn't we pursue God first and foremost? And so instead of telling us to get the idea of being happy out of our heads, the Bible actually, actually paints another picture. In places like Psalm 68.3 that was read earlier, what does the Bible say? But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. I read this and I'm thinking, I want more of that, <laughs> you know? More gladness, rejoicing, happiness being expressed in my life. More gladness, less sadness, more joyful, less mournful. Bottom line, more like God himself. Consider what Dallas Willard says about what God enjoys as sovereign Lord of the universe. You ever consider what God enjoys as the sovereign Lord of the universe? Ever think about that? Here's what he writes in his book titled The Divine Conspiracy. While teaching in South Africa, a young man named Matthew Dickinson took me out to see the beaches near his home in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. I was totally unprepared for the experience. I had seen beaches, or so I had thought. But when we came up over the rise where the sea and the land opened up to us, I stood in stunned silence and then slowly walked toward the waves. Words cannot capture the view that confronted me. I saw space and light and texture and color and power that hardly seemed of this earth. Gradually there crept into my mind the realization that God sees this all the time. He sees it, experiences it knows it from every possible point of view. This and billions of other scenes like it and unlike it. In this and billions of other worlds, great tidal waves of joy must constantly wash through God's being, I thought. It is perhaps strange to say, but suddenly I was extremely happy for God. And I thought I had some sense of what an infinitely joyous consciousness he is and of what it might have meant for him to look at his creation and find it very, very good. Yes, friends, God is a happy, joyful being who finds immense pleasure in his creation and he invites us to share in his happiness. For the past year, I've been writing a book and it's now finished and I'm trying to get it published and believe me if any of you are authors or want to be authors talk to me I know more about the publishing world than I ever wanted to know it's been uh, somewhat of a frustrating journey I was telling my congregation about my trials about getting my book published and I mentioned the agent I met who rejected my book about it's about my life adventures, actually, because they're too busy publishing the adventures of, believe it or not, the Duck Commander guys, the characters of the Duck Dynasty team. Anybody watch Duck Dynasty? Ha! You're willing to confess that. Great. Anyway, well, so here's the cover of one of those books by the Duck Commander himself, Phil Robertson, 
called Happy, Happy, Happy. Now, the book is titled that because this is one of Phil's favorite sayings. Whenever he shoots a limit of ducks, it's happy, happy, happy. Whenever he's eating some catfish from the river fried up by his wife, Miss Kay, it's happy, happy, happy. When sitting in the shade on a hot afternoon in his southern Louisiana home drinking cold, sweet tea, he's all happy, 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 you know. And say what you want about these beard-growing, swamp-loving, technology-shunning rednecks. We have them up there, don't we? The next slide. There they are. Believe it or not, they seem to have their priorities straight. When asked what matters in his life, Phil Robertson will tell you it's God, family, and ducks in that order. One of his famous quotes is this one, I'm going to fear God, love my neighbor, hunt ducks, and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, Phil Robertson. Say what you want about the duck hunting part, God's always first in his life. And that is the underlying source of where happy, happy, happy comes from. All of us need to keep this straight, that God is a happy God, and that we will find greater happiness as we pursue God in his life. All right, now, I'm going to shift gears a moment here. I've got to explain something that may sound perplexing in light of what you've heard so far. And here's what may sound perplexing. The fact that, here's principle number three, our happiness, our comfort, our pleasure is not God's number one priority for our lives. God's number one priority is to love us, not to make us happy all the time. Okay? We need to take a few minutes to unpack this truth because it may sound strange in an era when we're so influenced by hedonistic values that so easily lead to narcissism. For example, you have your Bibles this morning? It's going to come up on the side screens, but if you could find 1 Peter chapter 1, that'd be great, kind of toward the back of the New Testament there. How do you react to a statement by the Apostle Peter stated some 2,000 years ago do you think this is still relevant to our modern age? Check it out, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. After speaking of our great salvation that Christians have in Christ, St. Peter says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what's he saying? So we have this great salvation that causes us to rejoice. Yes, even be happy about. But what? There's also the reality of the grief we suffer in this life, the trials, the hardships, the pain, and everything that seems opposed to our happiness. As Allie said in her story, sometimes God takes us into the wilderness, right? And why does this happen? Why do the trials, the difficulties in this life, which are not fun at all? What does the apostle say in verse 7? These trials come to test our faith, to see if our belief in God, our faith in Christ, our confession of Jesus as Lord is genuine, if our Christianity is real or not. These trials test us, refine us, prove that our faith and trust in the Lord is genuine and authentic and will endure until we see Jesus face to face. 
And so we are informed that life is not happy, happy, happy all the time. There will be tears. There will be sorrow. There will be anguish. And guess what else? This is normal. I love the verse later on in 1 Peter where the apostle says this to the Christian people. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. What do we find here? Listen to this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Isn't that great? Men and women, we need to hear this. Listen, do not be surprised when you find yourself swimming with sharks and there's blood in the water. Don't think that your trial is something strange happening to you. Christ followers have suffered persecution through the ages, so why shouldn't we? And do not think that God has abandoned you. No, God has not abandoned you. He is seeing if there is any backbone to your faith. Not only that, but consider the fact that there can be something good that comes out of your ordeal. What could that be? Look at the very next verse, 1 Peter 4.13. What does it say? But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So what possible good can come when people who love God are mistreated? What possible reason could there be for Christ's followers to suffer unjustly? How about this? This is your opportunity and mine to identify with Christ in his sufferings. And yes, be glad to do so. Isn't this what Jesus was referring to when he said in the Beatitudes over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, privileged, rewarded, happy are those who are persecuted for doing what is right, for God's kingdom shall be yours. I'm wondering, is this too strange for our modern ears? Can good come from suffering? Can blessing and happiness come in ways we do not expect it? I just noticed something. There's people up there. Hi, guys. <laughs> Whoa, you got a balcony. That's cool. We don't have a balcony. I'm not used to looking up. Hello. Sorry for ignoring you. So there's the story of a king in Africa who had a close friend that he grew up with. The friend had a habit of looking at every situation, whether good or bad, positive or negative, and remarking, this is good. This is good, he would always say. Well, one day, the king and his friend were out on a hunting expedition, and the friend's job was to load and prepare the guns for the king to shoot. Well, when he loaded a gun, he did something wrong because when the king fired it, he blew off his thumb. And as the king is screaming in pain, his friend made his typical remark, this is good, this is good. To which the king howled, no, this is not good. I just lost my thumb, you're fired. And the king had his friend hauled off to jail. Well, about a year later, the king was hunting in an area that he should have known to stay away from. Cannibals captured him and took them to their village. They tied his hands, stacked some wood, and bound him to a stake. And as they were about to set fire to the wood and burn the king, they noticed that he had a thumb that was missing. 
Well, being superstitious, they never ate anyone who was less than whole. So they untied the king and they set him free. As he returned home, he thought of the day he lost his thumb and he regretted how he had treated his friend. So he immediately went to the jail to speak with his friend. He said, you're right. It was good that my thumb was blown off. It saved me from being eaten by the cannibals. And the king said, I want you to know I am so sorry for sending you to jail. It was bad for me to do this. Oh no, his friend replied, this is good, this is good. What do you mean this is good? How could it be good that I sent you to jail for well over a year? His friend said, well, if I had not been in jail, I would have been with you. (laughs) Good point. So I ask you, is what you are going through right now bad or good? Sometimes it's both. Sometimes, you know, it's good. And no one wants to suffer. But there may be a good reason why we do. One more statement by Jesus. He made this statement in Matthew 16, 24. You're familiar with this, aren't you? Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. What do you make of that statement? He is speaking to those following him, and statements like this separated the men from the boys, the women from the girls. Jesus is saying that if we are in this Christianity thing for the perks or the benefits so that God will bless me and make my life better, well, we'd better be careful about our motivations. If our number one motivation for being a Christian is anything other than we love God with everything we've got, then we've got some reevaluation to do. If we are in this just to see what we can get out of it, we're in it for the wrong reasons. The truth of the matter is, Jesus has already given us everything possible. He's given us his life by picking up his own cross first, laying his life down, providing our way to be reconciled to God and receive the gift of eternal life. God has already given us all things through Christ. In Christ, we are friends with God, loved, redeemed, cherished as spiritual sons and daughters. God has already given us and offered us his very, very best. And if we're not happy with that, or if we think God has somehow not held up his end of the bargain, well, we need to know that through Christ's life, all things are offered to us. So I was kind of thinking how I could bring this home for all of you, and in what way I could just kind of wrap it up and illustrate that the happiness that we're searching for is found in the life of Christ. Uh, Perhaps there's no better way to describe this than to tell you about an experience that I had with my almost three-year-old grandson while back in Minneapolis earlier this month. I am a grandpa now five times, and it's it's a wonderful thing. And what brought us back to the Midwest was the death of my wife Debbie's father, my father-in-law, which was hard, but it was a sweet time of remembering what a great guy he was. But one day I had the privilege of taking care of my grandson, Logan, while his mom and dad were working. And what a special thing to have several hours together, just Logan and Papa John, as he calls me. And as we began our morning together, I asked Logan what he wanted to do. Go to the park, he said. Well, that was easy, since there's a park just one block from their house in the suburb of Hopkins. So here we are on a bright, sunny day, enjoying the swing, even though the sun was in his eyes. And it just so happens that right next to the park is the Hopkins Fire Station. 
In fact, you can look out the front window of Logan's house and see the station a block away. And whenever a siren goes off, Logan will run to the front window to see if he can catch a glimpse of a truck leaving the station. And Logan just loves fire trucks. He loves to watch his video of Fireman Sam all the time. Well, once we were done on the swings, we wandered over next door to the fire station to look at the windows and the big fire engines. And as we were doing this, a police officer pulls up in his squad car. And this is where the magic started to happen. The officer introduced himself, and we introduced ourselves. And then he asked if Logan would enjoy seeing the flashing lights of the squad car. So he turns on the lights and then provided a photo op, Logan with the officer. And so Logan then got into the car. And for a few amazing moments, there was a new officer in town, Officer Logan. And never had the streets of Hopkins, Minnesota been safer. But the best was yet to come, because then the friendly officer opened the door to the fire station, and into the Holy of Holies we went. Logan was giddy with excitement. Countless times he had looked in from the outside, but now he was inside, levitating with every step. And here we were, grandfather and grandson, pinching ourselves over this unexpected pleasure. We felt so close, so happy, so alive with delight. Want to sit inside the truck, the officer asked. Are you kidding us? How could it get any better than this? This was beyond Logan's wildest dreams, or actually his greatest dream come true. And for a moment of time, what will live in infamy, my grandson became what he always wanted to be, Fireman Logan. We couldn't have scripted this any more perfectly. Of course, later I had to apologize to his parents because after that experience, this was all Logan had on his mind. Let's go see the fire trucks, Mama. Let's go see the fire trucks, Daddy. Like nonstop obsession, right? Yes, I had created a monster, which is what any good grandparent does, right? And then, you know, we wave goodbye and say, see you next time, kids. You know, love you. Good luck. You know. Praying for you, you know. Um, but looking back at that event, the happiness quotient for the two of us could not have been higher. And what occurred to me upon reflection was that, and hear this, guys, the pursuit of happiness was not the goal that morning. Logan and I were just pursuing life together, just being together, Papa John and grandson Logan. And in the pursuit of just doing that relationship, happiness came to us. We didn't need to look for it. Happiness found us. And this, friends, is the way it is as a son or daughter of God. As we pursue God in his life, as we keep our relationship with God as our number one priority, we don't have to worry about finding happiness. Happiness will find us. Magic happens as we remember who we are and who God is. He is our Papa and we are his kids. And when we see our relationship in that way, there is a lightheartedness about that. There's a wide-eyed anticipation of what Pops is going to show us next. If you wish to be surprised by happiness, then take God's hand and stay close to his side. Become closer friends with Jesus and watch the magic happen. Forget the adult facade. Become a kid again. There's no need to be afraid of your heavenly father. 
God is a happy God who invites you into his happiness. I leave you with this amazing verse reminding us of who we are. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. What greater happiness, what greater joy than to be loved and cherished children of your heavenly Papa who always delights in his children. And the surprises he has in store for you, no longer on the outside looking in, but ushered into the Holy of Holies itself. Life beyond our wildest dreams in this world and in the next. Let's pray together, shall we? And then we'll share in communion. Father God, it's so good to be together today as a spiritual community. Lord God, I pray that you would open our eyes to all that you are and all that you have for us as your sons and daughters. Remind us, God, that you are a happy God, that you live a happy life, and that you invite us into your happiness. Lord, when we find ourselves pursuing happiness, remind us, Lord, to get our priorities straight. That when we pursue you and keep that as number one, happiness will follow. And when we find ourselves in the wilderness, remind us, God, that the testing of our faith is not something unusual, but that it proves the genuineness of our love for you. God, as we come and share in the communion meal this morning, celebrating your life given for us, may we just walk down the aisles and say, Lord, I am pursuing you today. I want you to be number one in my life. And I thank you, God, to be in a relationship with you. Hear our prayers, O oh God, and may our cries ascend to heaven, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.